If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Here's the deal, y'all. Easter is not every preacher's favorite Sunday. This may surprise you. We are the ultimate church nerds, after all. But honestly, by the time Easter gets here, most pastors are exhausted. Holy Week means several extra services, Maundy Thursday and Good Friday, possibly an Easter Eve vigil. There's an Easter sunrise service, then the actual worship services on Easter, which come with what feels like impossibly high expectations about the music and the liturgy. And this year, everything is intensified by the coronavirus. But really, the good news for preachers is that on Easter, we really only have one job, and that is to make the announcement. That's our job. And the announcement is this. Sometime before sunrise, 
God raised from among the dead, Jesus of Nazareth. Or to tighten it up a little bit, Christ is risen. That's it. I've done my job. Christ is risen. Even through a computer screen, I can tell your response is not overly enthusiastic. So, so I'll try again. Christ is risen. Okay, maybe this is old news to you. I'm really old news. Maybe you've been hearing Christ is risen every year for your whole life. So it's not like it's a surprise or something. But it was definitely a surprise to the people who first heard the announcement. You heard the scripture reading. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Let's just pause for a moment and talk about the other Mary. That is just lazy journalism. The other Mary. There are a whopping two people who hear the announcement first, and Matthew doesn't write down the full name of one of the two people. I mean, next thing you know, the church is going to try to keep women from preaching or something. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised. He is not here, for he has been raised. That's the announcement. Note that at this point, neither of the Marys say, we've got to put on the Easter ham. If we put it in the oven now, we can have Easter dinner by six, and the deviled eggs should be chilled by then too. Maybe Peter can pick up some tea on his way home. We also don't hear either Mary ask if the angel is sure. Uh, yes, about that, we have some questions. When you say he is raised, do you mean literally or figuratively? Has his spirit been raised or his actual body? Perhaps if you'd roll the stone out of the way a little bit more, we could see for ourselves. No. The angel makes the announcement and the two Marys get moving. So they left the tomb quickly and with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. We are not like the Marys. What a bummer we've turned this announcement into. Imagine if this morning the angel had been in our church parking lot, sitting atop the portico, yelling down at us as we got out of our cars, he is risen. We would have looked at that angel and said, not before our first cup of coffee. We stayed up really late last night putting candy in a billion Easter eggs so the kids can hunt them after lunch. So perhaps the angel would try again, handing us a bulletin and declaring, he is risen. I imagine the angel shocked to hear us say, yes, yes, but are there Easter lilies on the chancel? It's just not Easter without an allergy attack. And the angel would have looked up 
to heaven and said, God, what is wrong with these people? We seem to have lost our enthusiasm about the announcement. Christ is risen! I mean, to be fair, it has been a long time since the original event. These days, people only seem to care about whether or not it actually happened. Some of us find the physical resurrection to be a bit of a stumbling block. Others are obsessed with proving that the gospel stories are actual historical reporting. And both are fairly militant about their positions. Say this or say that or else, or else we won't be back to church. It's the ultimate preacher blackmail. Almost every preacher I know can tell a story about how someone accused them of ruining Easter because they didn't preach what the person wanted to hear. So here's the thing. It's perfectly fine to say that the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus happened. Up from the grave he arose. The whole thing. Scholar N.T. Wright notes that other prophets, other messiahs, came and went in Jesus' day. Routinely, they died violently at the hands of the pagan enemy. Their movements either died with them, sometimes literally, or transformed themselves into a new movement around a new leader. Jesus' movement did neither. Within days of his execution, it found a new lease of life. Within weeks, it was announcing that he was indeed the Messiah. Within a year or two, it was proclaiming him to pagans as their rightful Lord. It is no good falling back on science as having disproved the possibility of resurrection. Any real scientist will tell you that science observes what normally happens. The Christian case is precisely that what happened to Jesus is not what normally happens. The elegant, essentially simple solution, rather than the one that fails to include all the data, is to say that the early Christians believed Jesus had been bodily raised from the dead, and to account for this belief, they began to say that they were telling the truth. For those who think it is just silly to proclaim that the bodily resurrection really happened, I will simply encourage you to practice theological humility. I will also say it is just fine to say there was no physical bodily resurrection because Jesus' body was probably eaten off the cross by wild animals. Scholar Dominic Crossan reminds us that what made the cross a supreme Roman penalty was not just its inhumane cruelty or public dishonor, but the fact that there might be nothing left to bury at the end. What we often forget about crucifixion is the carrion crow and scavenger dog who respectively croak above and growl below the dead or dying body. Roman crucifixion was state terrorism. Its function was to deter resistance or revolt, especially among the lower classes, and the body was usually left on the cross to be consumed eventually by the wild beasts. No wonder we have found only one body from all those thousands of crucified around Jerusalem in that single century. Remember those dogs. 
For those of you who think it is heretical to proclaim that the bodily resurrection did not happen, I will repeat what I said earlier. I encourage you to practice theological humility. But explaining what happened isn't my job this morning. It isn't the announcement. As one of my clergy colleagues tells, during a visit to Jerusalem, she was surprised to discover that there are two tombs in Jerusalem that people claim as the tomb of Jesus. Two. One is enshrined for tourists. The other is tucked away in a nearby garden and gets more local traffic than tourism. My colleague asked a guide which one she believed to be the correct tomb. And the guide replied, I don't concern myself too much with that, as long as they are both empty. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. This is not a sentimental statement. It is a radical announcement. It's unbelievable, but not just in the sense that resurrection of a dead body would certainly be a spectacular event. It is unbelievable that someone would claim he is risen, Jesus lives, because everyone at the time knew that Caesar was to be Lord. Empire was the way of things. So Jesus can't possibly be risen. Jesus can't possibly live because the empire killed him, right? I mean, they took care of him. They closed the Jesus file. The authorities had done this thousands of times before. The script was easy to follow. Kill the leader, demoralize the groupies, and this is how you put down an uprising. So they did it according to the script. Jesus was crucified, killed by the state, the equivalent of being strapped to an electric chair. If it had just been about dying, though, Jesus could have stepped in front of a Roman chariot. That would have been a death. But Jesus was nailed to a Roman cross, a method used to execute insurrectionists. This was political. The authorities couldn't risk having him around any longer. His teaching was too anti-empire, too anti-collaborator. So they killed him and made sure the disciples understood what would happen if they didn't stand down. Crucifixion was a public service announcement. If you act like this, if you teach and preach and live this message, you too will end up on a cross. It was the best way to kill a movement. Except Jesus was working from a different script. He did not advocate armed rebellion, but nonviolent resistance. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Give your coat and your cloak. Things that would break an empire without lifting a sword. A new world order, this one based on God's priorities. Things might have worked out differently if Jesus had just been talking about how to earn a pleasant afterlife. But he was a subversive, changing religion from performative to reformative. Performative religion is when God is in our mouths but not in our hearts. 
Reformative religion is faith that transforms institutions, systems, and people by the power of love. We forget just how upset Jesus made people, people in power. Just a few chapters before the one we read today, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus spoke of what God's priorities are and what our priorities should be. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. For just as you did for the least of these, you did it for me. Jesus' priorities were basic needs, health care, and prison reform. Too political, they said. Basic needs, health care, and prison reform. Too political, some still say today. Note that Jesus preached this sermon and then two chapters later, he was put to death. That's quite a timeline. And this is why they killed Jesus, but also why the tomb couldn't hold him. Yes, back to the announcement. Christ is risen. Yes, it matters that Jesus specifically was raised. Not anyone leading an armed rebellion, not Caesar, Jesus was raised. Jesus who said, love one another. This is God's yes to the empire's no. God raised Jesus from the dead and said, this is what I have in mind for the whole world. This is why the announcement, Christ is risen, love lives. The Empire had to do something about the announcement, so it, it played the confusion card, got us arguing about what did or didn't happen or what could have happened, and we forgot the significance of the announcement. And then for good measure, we threw in peeps and Easter baskets and a bunny and egg hunts. And don't get me wrong, there really isn't anything bad about including any of those things as we celebrate Easter. It's fine. Let the children play. If they don't know the deeper meaning of Easter, then the church is falling down on the job. And an Easter egg hunt won't change that. But the combination of confusion and distraction and shiny things has a saying, announcement? What announcement? No wonder we've lost all enthusiasm about the announcement. No wonder we live in a world in which we are trying to bomb the world into peace. America is the Roman Empire of our time, deciding who lives and who dies and who rules in other countries. No wonder we live in a world in which professional basketball players could be rapidly tested for the coronavirus, but healthcare workers were turned away in which enduring racial inequalities in health and wealth are reflected in the pandemic's death toll, in which relief was given to the financial sector before families. It seems we have been successfully distracted by doctrinal and denominational bickering and chocolate crosses. But the good news 
is that today we are reminded, recentered. We have the opportunity to reaffirm that we are with the Jesus program of meeting basic needs, ensuring access to health care and prison reform, just to name a few things. We will not join forces with the death-dealing powers, but rather subvert them because we believe that thy kingdom come, thy will be done, can only happen if we embody it. To say Christ is risen is to say that we are with the one who said, love one another. So let me repeat the announcement. Sometime... Before sunrise, God raised from the dead Jesus of Nazareth. The empire is powerful, but it does not have the last word. Love will see us through. And to that end, let us go with a word of blessing. And now, may the power of God and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which really does surpass all our understanding, go with every one of us, abiding in us, lifting us up, and making us whole. Let us go in peace, pray for peace, wage a little peace, and love one another, every single other. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Gloria Walkie, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.